Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Today's reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 23 to 34. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the skilled uh, workers there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, would be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed together into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shirley. Shall we begin by praying together? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and transform our lives. You would transform our city. Transform our homes and places of work. We pray this morning that you would transform our hearts as we listen to your voice. Amen. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here. Uh, I'm responsible for leading uh, one of the three churches in our team down the road, Holy Trinity Bore Lane, uh, where we're trying to reach out to the city centre workers Uh, of Leeds. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you will have heard me preach uh, from the beginning of the book of Acts as we started a new series together, uh, looking at what it means for us to be Pentecost people, people that live in light of the the Holy Spirit that has been sent to us. And I I said we were going to ask two questions together over the weeks that followed. Uh, The first one was, uh, how did the Holy Spirit transform the cities and places of the early church? And the second one was, how might the Holy Spirit be transforming the city of Leeds here today? And over uh, the past few weeks, uh, we have heard again and again the good news that comes 
when the Pentecost people, the people of the church, uh, come to the places and cities of the region and pray fervently for God's spirit. Uh, We have heard of transformations of intimacy and community. We have heard together of transformations of generosity, of God's people giving selflessly to their cities. We have heard about the spirit of uh, justice that comes and brings right where there is wrong in the name of Jesus. We have heard about the Spirit of God that comes and transforms our religious rituals and traditions and brings us together across cultures and traditions. I don't know about you, but as I've read the book of Acts, I can't help but thinking uh, we so need the Holy Spirit to come and bring transformation here in Leeds. We are longing for all of those things to be true of this city. What good news it is when God's people are sent out in his name. But this morning I want us to think about a slightly different question. We've spent a long time thinking about the good news of the gospel. And the question I'm going to ask you this morning is, is the gospel ever bad news? Is the gospel ever bad news? Now this might not be uh, what you expect me Uh, to speak about this morning. Uh, We've been looking together about uh, the good news of the transformation in the city. But I think it's important to note as we finish reflecting on the book of Acts together that being sent to be God's transforming presence to our towns and our cities uh, doesn't always mean we come uh, warmly received uh, with all the good things that we offer. If you've spent any time trying to transform and change a place, a culture, a community, uh, you will know that you are not always warmly received. Your presence may not be warmly received in your place of work, in your street, in your community. Paul puts it like this uh, in his second letter to the Corinthians. We are, to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. I think that's a really powerful and visceral image of what it means to be sent in the name of Jesus into this world. Uh, To some, we are a beautiful, sweet-smelling aroma. To others, we are the smell of death. When I was at university, one of my housemates uh, used to uh, enjoy buying these uh, little cigars that come in a tin uh, called Hamlet cigars. Uh, They are absolutely disgusting. Um, But he used to occasionally smoke these. He wasn't an avid smoker, but he used to occasionally smoke these uh, if we had gone out to the pub or something. Um, And and I used to remember thinking, uh, basically, they smell... Like, you know, if you've, got, you've, you've made yourself an egg sandwich, an egg mayonnaise sandwich, and you put it in your bag and forget about it for a week. <laughs> to me, that's what a Hamlet cigar smells like, being smoked. Uh, but to him, uh, if we were out for a drink at the pub, uh, the perfect way to end the night was uh, the pleasing aroma of a Hamlet cigar. The smell of death to some, and the sweet-smelling fragrance of life to others. 
That is sometimes what it looks like uh, to be Pentecost people, to be people that seek transformation. We are not always warmly welcomed to the places we go. And this is precisely what we see in the city of Ephesus that we read about this morning. Paul has been uh, preaching and praying for the transformation of this city, the transformation of this culture. Uh, And we see in this city uh, that rather than uh, a kind of mass conversion and all the city hails Paul as as their hero, uh, the church is threatened with riots. They are faced, they are put in the middle of the theater uh, and they are scared for their lives. So we're going to have a little look at what happens to Paul in Ephesus and think about what it means for us to be transformers of culture today. Uh, so the first thing I want to say this morning is that transformation, especially the transformation of God's spirit, challenges culture. Transformation challenges culture. Uh, We heard last week as David preached on Paul's visit to the city of Athens that Paul was not warmly received in that city by everyone. It says at the end of uh, that passage that some people mocked or jeered at Paul as he left uh, the city of Athens. Uh, Unlike uh, Paul's visit to Athens, Paul's visit to Ephesus ends rather more badly than this. Paul is not simply mocked or jeered. Uh, They want to kill him. That's how scared they are of the change uh, that Paul is offering to bring to this city. So why is that the case? We read in our our passage from Acts that in the ancient uh, Greek city of Ephesus, uh, we have one of uh, what became one of the seven wonders of the world, the great temple of Artemis. This is a city that encapsulates everything about what it meant to be Greek. Uh, The worship of uh, the great gods of mythology, including the goddess Artemis that we read about in our passage. Grand buildings and shrines that are erected to bring glory uh, to these gods and traditions. This is a city that represented uh, everything about uh, this pagan culture Uh, that they held so dearly. And we read in our passage that the church in Ephesus had grown so rapidly that the church was putting uh, the craftsmen of Ephesus out of business. Ephesus depended not just for its tradition and culture on uh, the worship of uh, of statues, uh, but depended on this for its economy as well. Uh, The whole growth, the economic and financial growth of the city uh, depended on the worship of idols. And we read in our passage uh, that Paul and the the early church were seeing so many people transformed by the Holy Spirit that they wanted nothing to do uh, with these idols. The silversmiths uh, quickly cotton on to what's going on. Uh, And they, I think, are rightly dismayed at the church. They are rightly dismayed at what uh, Paul is bringing. This is a city that has depended uh, on these traditions and cultures for a long time. Uh, And the church is putting people out of business. Uh, Demetrius, uh, one of the leaders uh, amongst this group, uh, stands up and says that there is a danger not only that our trade will lose its name, 
but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. The threat that Demetrius sees from the church, uh, I think, encapsulates at least two things. One, uh, the church is putting the economy at risk. The church is uh, destroying the financial health of the city. But I think there's something more radical going on here, which is that the church is threatening the culture, the values of this city, of this place. Now, I think it's important before we uh, continue to think about uh, this theme to note, that, uh, to note a short caveat. And I think it's clear from this passage that sometimes uh, being a Christian and being in the church means that we will put people out of business. But this doesn't mean to say that God is against making money, that God is against business altogether. Uh, in the ministry that I do at Holy Trinity, uh, I've heard again and again uh, people that work in, uh, in businesses, in places uh, in, for solicitors firms uh, as accountants. I've heard again and again the same story, which is that the church does not care about business. And I think, sadly, often that is true. Uh, we're very happy to say that people can be called uh, to ministry, but it might sit uncomfortably with us to think that God might call people to transform business and finance and law. And so I, I don't want you to hear this morning uh, me saying that the church, being a follower of the way, being a follower of Jesus means being anti-business. In fact, I think we need uh, more and more uh, great men and women in this city that are called into business uh, to pray for God's transformation there. But we do see in our passage from Acts that when God transforms people's lives, uh, they cannot live in the same way that they did before. They cannot continue as followers of Jesus and spend their money worshipping the things of creation. Uh, this just cannot sit together. And so we have to admit that the gospel is not good news for everyone. It's not good news for those who seek to make money out of the worship of created things. And so if we are serious about praying for God's spirit to transform this city, then I think we should also expect that we might be people of challenge as well as being people uh, that bring goodness and favor. I wonder what it might look like in the city of Leeds. What would it look like for this country? What would it look like if the Holy Spirit had moved so powerfully in our nation that all of the strip clubs went out of business? That those who sought to make money out of sexual objectification uh, could no longer make any money because God's people said, uh, we will not treat human beings as objects for our own lust and desire. This kind of thing feels kind of easy for me to say. Uh, perhaps more challengingly, we might say, what would it look like if uh, the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully in Leeds that the shopping centers made less money? 
that the people who claimed that we could create our, uh, that we could uh, find our fulfillment in the Apple Store or in Urban Outfitters? What if uh, these were the people who were put uh, out of place by the Holy Spirit, transforming men and women who would say, we will not find our identity in material things. We will, not, uh, we will not find our fulfillment by spending more and more money in the Trinity Center. What if the good news of the church uh, meant that the shops of our city suffered? Are we okay with that? Are we prepared to pray that dangerous prayer? Holy Spirit, come change our lives. So that's the first point, is that uh, when we see transformation, uh, we should expect challenge. We should expect to be people that challenge our city. Uh, because those who are transformed by the Holy Spirit have to change how they live, and not just what they do on a Sunday. The second thing I want to uh, reflect on together is that transformation invites opposition. We don't just challenge our culture, uh, but sometimes being a follower of Jesus means that we are in direct opposition to those uh, who seek to make their money and their livelihood out of things that are at odds with the gospel. Whenever we see big cultural changes, uh, we find resistance to change. That's been observed again and again by uh, many different um, social theorists. Uh, But what we see in Ephesus is not just a kind of niggling resistance to change. Uh, It is a violent opposition to the growth of the church. The reality is, and we have to admit, uh, that there are authorities and powers, both human and supernatural, uh, who who do not want to see the communities of our cities and our country transformed. There are those who oppose and stand against uh, what we are about. We've already reflected together briefly on one of these, uh, that of worshipping power, uh, worshipping wealth and money as a source of fulfilment. And as uh, Willie Jennings in his commentary on Acts puts it, Uh, Confronting powers that oppose God often means confronting those who seek to protect their wealth. There are times at which uh, being uh, for the gospel might mean being against uh, the greed and protection of wealth that we see around us. But there are other things as well. We, uh, We believe as Christians that each human being in this room, in this city, in this world, is of infinite value, is created by God, is loved by God, is cherished. But this also means, this belief that we are for human beings, means that we have to be against something. We can't just be for this lovely ideal that human beings are made in God's image. This also means that we are against the idea uh, that people seek to demean and degrade and devalue the image of God in one another. We have to be against those who seek to use others as objects rather than as God's children. 
And this might mean being controversial from time to time. I don't know if you saw the news a few uh, months ago, but Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, was very vocal in criticising uh, the government's policy to send uh, refugees uh, to Rwanda. Uh, and Welby received quite a lot of pushback. The Archbishop received quite a lot of pushback from this uh, in the media. Uh, and one uh, Conservative MP, uh, Jonathan Gullis, uh, on Radio 4, uh, said this about the Archbishop. I don't think that unelected bishops in the House of Lords should be preaching about politics. I sadly think that too many people are using the pulpit to preach from. It's very good, isn't it? Mr. Gullis went on to describe that the bishops in this country are out of touch with the overwhelming majority of this great country. Uh, I think very quickly the Archbishop was, uh, was keen to point out that if he could no longer preach from his pulpit, uh, he wasn't really sure what else he was supposed to do in there. But I think putting aside that particular issue, that particular policy, the underlying assumption of the MP's comments here is that as Christians, we should stick to doing things which are nice, we should look after the sick, we should sing our hymns, uh, we should hold some Christmas fates in our community, uh, but to stand up uh, for the marginalized would be to stray into politics. That's the assumption underneath these comments. But as I think uh, the Archbishop knows uh, very well, uh, our job as Christians is not to say things that make people like us. That's not our job. It's not our job to try as hard as we can to keep powers and authorities on our side. It isn't even our job to try and be in touch with the great majority of this country. As those who follow Jesus Christ, our call is to love unconditionally to point each and every person we meet to the love of God that can be found in Jesus Christ. It is to pray for transformation and change in our communities, even when this puts us in conflict with those who seek to undermine and to stop us. I think it's worth uh, noting here, uh, just so you don't hear me wrong, uh, that I don't think... Uh, welcoming opposition is the same as going out looking for it. Uh, there are some Christians uh, who seem to be very keen uh, to face opposition and resistance. Uh, and their tool of choice, sadly, uh, happens to be social media. Uh, and, and I've seen this again and again on social media, Christians that say something like this. Uh, because I'm a Christian and I know the truth, uh, it's my job to be deeply intolerant and offensive uh, to everyone else uh, who will read my social media. Uh, it's my job to tell people that they are wrong. And when the inevitable backlash comes from people that do disagree with us, uh, the narrative that I say to myself is that this is what happens when you preach the truth. Of course Christians are persecuted for the sake of the gospel. This is exactly what Paul faces in the book of Acts. I have to say, this is not what we see from Paul in the book of Acts. Uh, what we see from Paul is someone who is deeply devoted to God's people, to the growth of God's church, and prays fervently for his Holy Spirit to change a culture. Yes, 
Paul meets opposition and persecution and judgment, but he doesn't go out looking for it. What he cares about is the growth of the church and the kingdom of God, uh, not this insatiable need to be right, no matter who he offends. And so I think even though we should expect opposition when we pray and preach uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's not the same uh, as trying to pick a fight whenever we can. Okay, I've got one final uh, point to reflect on uh, before we finish. And this is that transformation, God's transformation, takes time. Uh, The story that we read of the transformation of business in the city of Ephesus stops uh, rather quickly as Paul tries to get out of that city as quickly as he can to escape the riot which is coming. Uh, But we know if we read elsewhere in Scripture, if we read the book of Revelation, uh, we know that the church of Ephesus continues to grow. In the book of Revelation, John writes to the church in Ephesus and encourages it uh, to grow as it establishes itself in that difficult place. And we know from uh, early church history uh, that the church in Ephesus continued to have an influence in that region. In other words, uh, the culture shift, the change, and the transformation that came uh, in our reading uh, wasn't finished in a day. It wasn't finished in the year uh, that Paul spent there. I have to confess that often I would like the Holy Spirit to speed up a little bit. I would quite like the city of Leeds uh, to be transformed under my watch, uh, under my work, under my ministry. I would like to take some credit for some of the good things that might happen. But as we prayed so powerfully uh, together, when we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, we are invited to pray, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. We pray for transformation and we ask God to do the rest. Before we close, I'm going to read uh, to us from uh, the last speech that Paul gives us in the book of Acts. We've been reflecting together uh, for some time now about Uh, the way in which the Spirit is bringing transformation to uh, the communities that we see around us. And Paul has been himself on quite a journey. And if you read uh, the last uh, nine or so chapters after this one, uh, you'll see that things get increasingly more difficult for Paul uh, as he continues to seek God's transformation and kingdom. Uh, But let me fast forward a little bit to the last chapter of Acts. And we see, we find here Paul finally in the seat of cultural power and influence in the, in, uh, in the ancient world, in the city of Rome. Uh, Paul ends up there uh, not uh, on purpose, but because uh, he is arrested, uh, he's taken onto a ship, uh, and uh, the ship uh, is shipwrecked. And eventually he finds himself in the city of Rome. Uh, and he finishes by preaching in the book of Acts uh, with these words, which he quotes from the book of Isaiah. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, 
and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Paul says, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. At this point, Paul has been imprisoned, mocked. He has been chased out of Greece in a riot. He has been arrested. He has been shipwrecked. And he, find, and he finishes uh, his time in Rome with this prayer of great faith that God's salvation has been sent and they will listen. And so as we continue to pray and to seek for the transformation of this city, of this country, we have to admit that this won't happen overnight. But our encouragement from God is that the gospel has been sent to his people and they will listen. The Holy Spirit will continue uh, to transform lives, to transform communities as we are invited to join him on this great mission of God's church. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.